any notes of chocolate? Is there any notes of, of smokiness? That kind of thing. Are there any hops? If they are, are they spicy? Are they flowery? Are they earthy? Um, you know, are they resiny and piney? That kind of thing. Those descriptors are key to getting a high score on the exam. And, quite frankly, they're key in just describing a beer to somebody who's never had it. That's the important thing. No, somebody's never had a beer, and you want to talk to them about a, a style or how good it is, you need to be able to describe it. You need to be able to tell it to them. And how do you tell it to them? There you go. Describe it to them. out um, some beers here, a beer that I want to have everybody discuss. So let's see how many we've got here. It looks like I've got a full class, basically. Um, basically, it really doesn't. If you were to boil off the alcohol, um, it would be probably right around 1.001 to 1.002. But alcohol being lighter than water, or lighter, yeah, lighter than water, will give you an apparent gravity of lower than water. It's the same way that mead and others can, can end up with a 0.990.
evaluating this is if it was handed to you in competition. This is an American in your somewhere around 10 till. So, so this is an American amber, at least that's how we're judging it. Starting off with the appearance, anybody that has style guidelines, what do you have to say about appearance? Good, good. Is good actually in the color spectrum anywhere? Can you find the color good? Good is not a color. Good amber color would be fine. This would be sort of an orange amber. How's the clarity? Beautiful clarity, you could say that. But there are more technical terms. There is brilliant clarity, which means there's absolutely, you could read through it if you needed to. There is, there's actually good clarity as a technical term for it's slight, a slight haze. Be sure that you wipe the, both the front and the back of your glass when you do that, instead of saying hazy, because it could have a little condensate on it. I can read through it if you look at that one. I'll say very good. Maybe. You can read through it. Brilliant clarity. What else can we say about this beer? Hmm? How about the, yeah, the head? What, what do we want to say about the head? You'd say that's off white or tan Big or ivory shell. or what kind of texture does it have? Would you say that's creamy? Would you say that's meringue? Would you say that that's a tight head? Would you say that that's a collar? Would you say that that's a cover? Nice collar. Wispy collar. Mine's got cover. Okay. Pretty well. It's been 
So getting into aromas, the first aromas that you found were what? Multi-sweetness. Multi-sweetness. What kind of multi-sweetness? Bready, toasty, caramel, toffee? Caramel. Citrus hops evident first, yielding to malt. Would you say that's a fair assessment of what of the evolution of this beer so far? Would that seem right? Okay. Um, any esters? Fruitiness? Any off flavors? Any DMS? Any diacetyl? fruitiness at all out of this? How about fruitiness? Any kind of fruit? I think it's maybe hop fruitiness. Yeah, you're getting a citrus tone out of it. I'm still getting that citrus tone. Are you getting any other kind of fruit out of it? Stone fruit? Peach? Apricot? gaining more and more importance among judges um, because he's down at the end of the building. Did he just pass us by? Did he pass us by?
what I said there at the end. I've not, I said grapefruit character to, to hops, possibly cascade. Even if you're absolutely dead certain that it is something, always write possibly and put a question mark because you weren't there when it was made and it could be something else. I'm constantly surprised that I think it's one thing and three months later I'll ask the brewer about it and it's something else entirely. Um, one great example I have had of that was uh, at an AHA regional where somebody submitted a Utopia clone. And if anybody's had Utopia, this is the 22% beer that Sam Adams put out. And uh, this tasted like it was about a 22% beer. It's dead still. It's got tons of different kinds of fruit things going on, tons of different uh, things going on because of the alcohol and because of age. And I wrote in there, I said, really very clean, 
uh, seems fully attenuated, and I wrote in, you know, asked questions. I said, incremental feeding, question mark. I was certain that it had to be incrementally fed, meaning the guy kept adding more wort, bigger wort to it as the yeast progressed so that it was constantly working off sugars and creating more alcohol. The guy emailed me later on, first off to say he was thankful that I even understood the beer because he was afraid nobody would understand it. He kept giving it to all of his friends who'd never had Utopia and just said, well, I, I can't drink more than a thimble full of that. It'll knock me on my ass. And I, I said, well, so I, was I right? What did you incrementally feed? He goes, no. He says it was a 12-gallon batch with an 86-pound grist. How long did he have to boil so it took So it took a year for fermentation to complete. He was just really patient with it, kept it at a constant temperature, and that was his key to cleanliness. And I was convinced it had to be something else. Well, I was wrong. And as a judge... You were right. We just tell you everything. Well, those that know me do that, sure. Sometimes you perceive things you expect to perceive, and it could have been that the previous one was just slightly smoky. Smoke is one of those phenols that, much like medicinal, you really need to clean your palate between, um, between tastes, because it'll overwhelm your palate. It'll literally lock its way into your taste buds. It takes a long time to get out. Um, I believe in a, in a system with, when judging smoked beers personally, Luckily, there usually aren't very many of them, and I can get all five or six of them out at once, and we'll open them all, and I'll have five or six sheets in front of me, and we'll pour all of them at once, and we'll go through, and I'll start, we'll start by judging the lightest one first, but I'll write aromatics on all six at first, and then we'll go back and actually sit and judge and talk about from the lightest to the heaviest, because I'll tell you, you get somebody who is doing a gently smoked beer, especially in the smoked specialty category, up against somebody who just walloped you over the head with it, you'll never taste the smoke in the second beer. You'll never taste the lighter one if it comes after a heavier one. Um, that's, the same thing can happen with very hoppy beers. The same thing can happen with fruit beers. The same thing can happen with Hefeweizens. It, Hefeweizens are notorious for having this little um, spike in scoring about third or fourth one in, and then all just going back down to average, being right around 26, 27. Um, because the, the spicy phenols with, with German and just sit on your palate, and you can't taste the next one. They all start to become sweet, or they become bland. When, in fact, could have been, you know, it could be world-class examples. So it's just one of those things to be aware of as a judge. And again, I, I've said this before, but I will often keep a calibration beer or the first really good example of, of the beer that I had. I'll keep that as a sample. And if I think something might be wrong or I'm wondering if it's me, I'll go back and taste that first example. And if that has shifted to my taste buds, then I'll know it's my own, that it's my own palate that's changed 
and not the fault of the beers. It's kind of a little important technique, I think is a good one to, to keep up. Okay, so we have now talked about uh, hop, hop flavor. How about esters? We talked about that. Are you guys st still not getting any of that apricot, huh? No. no, no, no. Okay, well, I can tell what's one of the upcoming flavors we're going to try. Um, apricot and peach. Here's how I'm. Here's how I'm actually perceiving them. Apricot and peach are extremely light flavors. Fruitiness tends to go for me from very, very light pale fruit that's almost floral or, or um, aromatic on into really robust flavors like raisin and prune and plum, well, same thing, plum, um, very heavy, vinous kinds of uh, flavors that are a lot easier to describe and a lot easier to identify. The lighter ones, I'll get guava, um, I will get um, sometimes other sorts of tropical fruits in there, that uh, papaya, that kind of thing, that are very, very light, but they're there. They're as an ester. I mean, one other way to maybe describe this particular aromatic is perhaps papaya, if anybody's getting any of that. But I think there is a fruitiness there. I think it's a malt fruitiness as much as it is from the, uh, the hops. But I think that it's there. But this is definitely an ale and not a lager. Right. Yeah, you'll definitely get ale. Your ale characteristics will almost always have a fruitiness. Lager won't. Real light roasty comes to it. Very finished. Oh, roastiness to it. I get it. Okay. Would you say that the finish is dry or is sweet? Oh, dry. You'd say it's balanced then. Balanced finish. How's the mouth feel? Medium body, okay. Is it uh, a round body? Is it a flinty body? Minerally, chalky, any of those things? Okay. Smooth overall. How about the finish in mouthfeel? Again, is it dry? Is it flinty? Is it minerally? Maybe slightly minerally. Yeah, and hoppy.
it's not anything. I think it's a little different. I don't think it's finishing. Well, I'm getting the front to come through, but not ending. What uh, feedback would you give this brewer? Is it? More like a pale ale? Yeah. Why the ambers are Yeah, but the ambers so like changing their rules, right? Ambers are beginning to become more uh, more hop forward. However, how does this match up with maybe what the style guidelines would say about amber? It's probably not as malty as it should be. Probably not. Okay. Over hop for American amber. Okay. Um, was this beer cleaning? Were there any off flavors to this beer at all? No No technical defects is one way to write that. Or no handling or sanitation issues. And it's a good thing, and again, we're noting what isn't there. We want to give the brewer positive feedback. No DMS, no diacetyl, no uh, handling or sanitation issues. We could put no DMS diacetyl in the, uh, into the flavor if we wanted to. Um, but basically, we're telling the brewer what they did right. So they've got, they've got nothing to fix as far as what their technical issues are. Um, would you tell them to back off the hops, or would you tell them to raise them all? Okay. And or raise them all? More malt and or less hops. One particular word to your phrase there, instead of just going lighter on the hops, go lighter on the bittering hops. Right. Because we might be saying, hey, fruity, I kind of like the aroma. The fruitiness of uh, the grapefruit is good in there. Okay. So again, I'm being really specific. And don't let's not forget what we're talking about with tier one. Tier one descriptors, tier two, and tier three. So a tier one would simply be being saying malt or malty. Um, tier two is saying the toasty malt. Tier three would have been saying something like notes of say victory malt or Munich malt, that kind of thing, being a little more specific about it. 
uh, noting if the toastiness is from melanoidins versus just from the malt itself, that kind of thing, if you can, if you can start to get that, that difference. So more and more specific is where tier three is when you can get very specific and name the citrus. We named we were tier three on naming grapefruit in the finish of the of the uh, uh, the bittering hops. Or where did we write flavor citrus here? Yeah, in the flavor. Cascade. We were saying cascade grapefruit here. That's a tier three kind of a descriptor. And all I'm saying is, is that you move from very, very general to, if you can name it, the more you can name, the better your description of the beer is. Sometimes stuff is just kind of a melange and you can't really name anything and you can only get as far as maybe tier two. But by the end of this, you guys should all be able to get up to tier two descriptions in all of your, uh, your beer evaluations. So keep working on that sort of vocabulary as we go. Questions? Okay. Yeast is our subject tonight, and Dave Peckham is our instructor. So I guess I can start now. And you can start now. Okay. Um, it's uh, kind of as a result of my last class too. Let me. Oh, let me introduce Dave. By the way, Dave oh, is, yeah. a, is a master judge out of Sacramento, and he's the guy that has basically written the uh, this. Syllabus that we're using tonight, uh, or have been using for this class. Uh, he compiled a lot of the reference material, um, quizzes that you got here uh, this last week. He wrote all of those, and they're all basically designed to help you sharpen yourself for the exam. Dave. All right. Well, I noticed that some of the people here have binders. What did you bring today? Bring any notes? No. You didn't bring anything. Must have a good memory. Well, as a result of a class I had last year, uh, one of my uh, students had his little notebook, little, little three by five notebook, uh, and jotting down his notes, and uh, somehow I ended up with it. In other words, he doesn't miss not having it. Okay, I can't say enough as far as taking good notes and being organized, okay? Put your stuff in a binder if you can. It's not too late, okay? I think you might be a little more prepared for success by having all your stuff, in, and please, by all means, uh, bring your stock guidelines and your study guide with you. It's one of the best places to put your notes on, okay? I want you to lose your stuff, all right? So, um, but you did read the, uh, the East uh, part of the study guide before this class, right? Yes? Okay. okay, it's about only about four pages in the study guide, okay? You thought I was Okay. Believe it or not, this is also following up by Kevin. And I want Kevin to follow up on me also. He's doing the class on flavor and stuff. Now, did you guys read, for instance, um, the styles for tonight? I assume that there's a category of beers for this evening. I saw some amber ales. Um, We're doing um, pale ales, English pale ales, pale ales and brown ales. All brown Now I'm assuming that Kevin told you to read all the stock guidelines of those particular half dozen beers before showing up, right? He did ask you, right? No. Well, he didn't. I did say what they were. Okay. You said no. Okay. That's true. I didn't say. At some point, you're going to want to read them, right? Okay. Nobody has them memorized, and we don't want to assume or guess. You're not going to have it when uh, the when the uh, the test happens for the exam. Okay. In any case. Please stay organized. 
And I'm insisting that my students this year get all this stuff printed out that's in the syllabus. Okay, perhaps it'll look a lot like mine with the required materials. Bring them every time too. Okay, okay. You brought stuff too. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. Invest three dollars in a binder and uh, have it look sharp. And if you want to put those tabs in there, it's like okay. So uh, I'm insisting that my students do this when I start my classes, which start uh, Saturday in the Sacramento area. Okay. And because I was planning ahead, I figured that everyone here would have a binder. That's why I took the consideration of uh, already hole punching and putting out the handout for you guys. Okay. I took care of it. Okay. In case, uh, I mean, need to What's that? We're not See, I got more time on my hands, I guess, because I haven't started yet. Hey, but no binder to put them in. Don't worry about it. Get your binder. I've got a big plant in the car. Big plant in the car. Wild yeast and bacteria. Okay, just a little extra. Okay. You got enough back there? Because I got plenty, okay? I mean, um, I'm turning into paper airplanes or whatever. You got more back there. Kevin told me to turn off a bunch of time. We'll punch it for you already. Hit, hit. Get some extras? Make sure you get some, okay? Just a two page handout.
or I'm never going to let Kevin teach a class for me again. Something like that. Okay, styles that we're talking about, when we're talking about, there are broad categories of styles which are the numbers. And then there are the actual styles themselves, aka sub-styles, which have the letters. Every single question will be talking about a lettered version of the styles. Did everybody sign in tonight? I didn't. No, you don't have to. Okay. Cool. Okay. A particular tragic answer, as if I don't see enough as a grader, was about mentioning three bottom-fermented German beers that are distinctly different. In other words, you can't have like a Munich Light, Munich Dunkel, right? My Bach and traditional Bach. So what they put down? European Amber Lager. Please understand that that is a category and not a distinct style. That would be obviously either Oktoberfest or Vienna, right? Vienna is not going to qualify because that's Austrian. I can't say enough as far as um, read the exam questions before you answer them. That seems so obvious. It's like almost insulting if I ever say that. Yeah, read the questions before you answer them, but I see, I see downright illiterate answers. And then I see the ones also that it's clearly obvious this person is not reading the question. And then it's clearly obvious that they just don't understand these beer styles. Okay. Now, this exam is about beer styles and beer judging. Part of understanding beer styles and beer judging is an understanding of ingredients. So tonight I'm going to talk about yeast. Okay? Yeast are single-cell fungi that literally make the beer. The brewers merely make the wort. Yeast primarily reproduce asexually by budding, thus each cell from a given clonal strain is identical and has the identical fermentation characteristics. They're not all getting all wild and all going to ferment in a different manner in that particular culture. Okay? Yeast do not exist to make beer. They exist to make more yeast. That's why after you pitch your pint of yeast, you're going to come up with two to three times as much. Beer, which is a collection of metabolic byproducts of yeast metabolism, is only a sideline for yeast. Everything needed by yeast to make more yeast is present in unfermented wort. Beer yeast are of the genus Saccharomyces, and although there's only three specific species of yeast in general yeast and brewing, that's Saccharomyces ovarum, or lager, Saccharomyces cerevisiae, which is ale, Saccharomyces delbrachii, which combines with one of the others to make wheat beer yeast. You don't need to remember that part, but understand ale and lager as well as what that wheat beer strain is really about, okay? Technically, the only real difference between ale yeast and lager yeast is that lager yeast fully ferments the trisaccharide raffinose, complex sugar. Ale yeast only partially ferments it. Does that mean that uh, ales can't ferment at 55 degrees? Sure, some of them can. And lagers? Sure, they'll ferment at 65 or 70 degrees, they just don't taste as good, okay? There's a recent opinion that actually places that ale yeast or I'm sorry, the lager yeast, saccharizes a beer into the yeast category, beyond the scope of the exam, however. The term top fermenting and bottom fermenting, while very common and probably understood, is a bit misleading for yeast, as they just ferment all around the beer. You probably already know, they don't ferment just at the top or just at the bottom. This is probably an age-old term for harvesting, when they use the skimming off the top to get the stuff that works better at the warmer temperature or the stuff that settles at the bottom. But it all settles to the bottom anyway, right? It's the 
is back before they had the cultured strings, and everything was a mixed string to try and get their best stuff off of there. Carbon dioxide and ethanol are the two main products of fermentation. The many byproducts of fermentation include phenols, fusels, esters, especially in the ranges above 60 degrees Fahrenheit, aldehydes, especially acetaldehyde, or green apple, diacetyl, and sulfur, which is greater in uh, lager yeast strains. And you probably can tell that in any commercial lager beer. It's important to keep the beer in contact for yeast for some time by avoiding certain of the byproducts that I just mentioned. And you do that by not racking from the primary too early or by dropping the temperature of the yeast of the, of the beer too soon. Various influences on yeast behavior include the yeast strain itself, the physical environment, for instance, the temperature of the fermentation, pH, of course, specific gravity, as well as the head pressure. The more pressure on the yeast, the less likely it's going to do quite as well. I remember a story from a few years ago about, it must have been Coors or Miller, gigantically huge fermenters. The problem with that was the fermentation didn't finish completely because of the mass of volume. That's an example of head pressure and its effect on yeast fermentation. Other influences, of course, include nutrients, oxygen levels, good initial health, and the amount of yeast. Here are five considerations for choosing a yeast strain. This part specifically applies to the exam. Please, everybody write this down. Okay? Everybody write your pencil too, right? Yes, I'm going to write without you. Mr. Pratt! Well, uh, I had one to give one to you. You lead a horse to water. Okay. But you'll remember this, right? It's less than a 10-word answer. Attenuation. Flocculation. Some of these are going to sound very familiar, too. Okay. Temperature. It's the same thing as saying, is it ale or lager? Fourth consideration for choosing yeast strain is alcohol tolerance. I'm sure that Utopia's clone, even someone that was very, very alcohol tolerant or was just going to give up. I forgot to mention the yeast strain. Oh, is that all? Is that all? And the fifth consideration for when choosing a yeast strain is fermentation byproducts. Name me some fermentation byproducts that I just mentioned two minutes ago. The sulfur. Sulfur esters. Aldehydes. Okay. Diacetyl might want to be the most uh, con considerable one, too. Um, but fermentation byproducts sums it up well enough. So please understand that you asked about five considerations for choosing a strain. There's that eight-word answer. I include byproduct as one word, okay? They're not asking you to define them. That's why it's so important to read the question and answer what it's asking. Well, I noticed they sort of missing in the reading. When you say fermentation byproducts, would it be inappropriate to list the primary byproducts of carbonation and ethanol? That is not part of the consideration for choosing a yeast strain. In any case, I had to mention that and make sure you guys write that down because it is not in the study guide. If you read the study guide, and when you read the study guide, the particular section on yeast, it doesn't say anything as far as five considerations for choosing a yeast strain. 
but it is part of a specific question in the pool of questions. But they did reach uh, how to British. But they have they've been given how to brew and it isn't how to brew. So the yeast section of how to brew. How to brew? How to brew what? How to brew. Don Homer? Yeah. Oh, good book. Good website too. Okay. I would assume anyway. There's the five considerations for any time you choose a yeast drink. Okay? Day in and day out, especially for the exam. Now, Kevin, I, I hope, did mention that the exam is actually very easy, okay? Um, one thing that makes it easy, the questions are all in the pool of questions. There's nothing that's going to fool you, okay? It's very straightforward. It's very multi-part, I know, and very complex. But understand that the questions are in there. What you're going to do is uh, have a good answer for them, okay? It's a little different. A preparation course like this is going to help. Yeah, good question. There was, we talked... I remember which probably the first class where we had talked about um, off flavors coming from too much headspace in the fermenter. Right? That would be a cardboard or a papery flavor in the second Oh. But then you say that not enough space causes issues as well. So pressure? You said head pressure. Yeah. So, it's that mass. Imagine the call. Yeah. Five gallons of wort. Or beer, only about 40 pounds or so, right? Eight times five, right? About. It's going to sit that 40 pounds of pressure on that layer of yeast. Now imagine 4,000 barrels, okay? That's some weight on it. That can affect fermentation, okay? Understand that the influences on yeast behavior that I gave you, that doesn't apply to the exam so much as those considerations that I just gave you. That's right. That's exactly right. Why, why fermenter is going to be different. And of course, fermentation uh, characteristics, influence on yeast behavior, can also include the size of the fermenter, the style of the fermenter, okay? Can make a difference, okay? But, under, but uh, the most important part is those five reasons for choosing yeast strain and understanding and understanding the different phases of fermentation, which I'll touch on briefly. I'm not going to reread what's in the uh, the, stop, the uh, study guide, though. Okay, it's up to you guys to read. What I'm going to offer today are just the extras. I'll reiterate a few things, of course, too. Okay. Oxygen. The role of oxygen has been misleading. To the point of making it seem that oxygen is needed for Saccharomyces to grow. It is the only genus of beer to not require it. All those other wild yeasts. And a lot of bacteria also do require oxygen to grow. In the presence of sufficient nutrient, beer yeast do not require oxygen. But beer yeast will use what is present and respire inward, even though brewers' yeast do not need oxygen to respire or breathe. To most people, respiration means simply the consumption of oxygen or breathing. To a biochemist, respiration is the uh, production of biochemical energy. This process is absolutely dependent on oxygen. The real requirement of oxygen is to help produce fatty acids and sterols, which are essential, comp essential components of cell membranes. The membrane structure controls what flows in and out of the cell. Weakened cells can be intolerant of alcohol and not survive. Dissolved oxygen leads to respiration and a shorter lag time. This helps ensure a quicker fermentation. So it is advantageous to aerate your wort. I'm sure everybody does that with their own beer. Assuming everybody has made beer or has seen it done. Okay. We do like to aerate the wort. 
Okay? Oxygenation of the wort can also lead to lower diastatile levels in the finished beer. Okay? That's a good little tip also. Okay? In particular, if it comes from brewing techniques, the very first volume, very first issue. So Dave, going back to the oxygenation thing, would a way to look at that is, is that in order for yeast to gain the proper health and the proper population, oxygen is required or air is required. Once that is depleted, yeast needs absolutely no more to continue the fermentation. The second half is absolutely correct. But remember, yeast do not require it, but in the presence of a less than adequate pitching rate and less than adequate nutrients, which is going to be the case most of the time, fermentation is really, really does, is really is help as far as aerating the work. That can be excellent feedback to somebody who's having a problem with fermentation. Perhaps that amber ale that was judged didn't have a complete fermentation. That becomes specific feedback to the brewer for how to improve their beer. That is something that you're going to have to understand for the exam because when those four beers start coming out, you need to give suggestions for improvement. And you might recall that's in uh, the overall impression section of the, of the uh, score sheet. Is that right? That's the second thing they asked for. And I would agree that it's the hardest thing to, to, be, to end up learning. Okay? Once you're a brewer, it becomes a little bit easier. Once you understand the flavors, also does become easier. Oxygenation of the wort is very helpful. As I said, too, it can lead to lower diacetyl levels in the finished product, which more than not is very advantageous to almost every style. Okay? Oxygen is detrimental if introduced during fermentation. That means splashing during racking. Um, one tip that I use at home as a good thing to provide to another brewer is purging out the airspace of your secondary vessel or keg. Using carbon dioxide, purge it out to release as much of the oxygen as possible. Okay. Oxygenation after the fermentation has begun can lead not only to oxidation, which is the staling effect, but also diacetyl production. And that particular diacetyl production can be very unpleasant. Adding oxygen at certain points too, if you had a less than ideal sanitation ritual, can lead to idiococcus formation and very bad news. Okay? I did want to touch on, um, briefly, not getting into too much detail, but six common yeast strains. These can apply to almost every style that you might talk about during the exam, okay? When it says to give some background information, that can mean a specific ingredient. You understand the caramel malt in that uh, amber ale, or just ale yeast, you're on the right track. Specifically, the American ale yeast. We commonly call it the Chico ale yeast strain. It is a common American brew pub ale yeast strain and probably the most, most popular. Very clean, and we use that term to, uh, to uh, describe a fermentation that has very few byproducts. It's not so much that it doesn't produce diacetyl, all yeast strains do, but it does a very good job of absorbing it. When we talk about uh, the fermentation byproducts, those are all made. Acetaldehyde, diacetyl, esters. We keep esters at a low level through cooler fermentation. But contact with yeast is going to take care of cleaning up or reducing diacetyl and acetaldehyde to lower than threshold levels. 
it's always going to be in the beer to some extent. The idea in most cases is below the threshold level. Okay? It's a rather attenuative yeast strain, leaving a dry finish, and can ferment at very cool temperatures. Some of you might know advice numbers like Weiss 1056, WLP001. That's not so important for the exam. If you understand American ale yeast and call it the cheap ale yeast strain, every grader is going to know what you're talking about, okay? Every one of them. American ale, also known as cheap ale yeast. Not anymore, except not anymore. <laughs> okay. The Bavarian Hefeweizen strain, uh, also known as the Weinerstefen wheat beer strain, is essential for the Bavarian wheat styles and even Roggen beer. And that means the German Weiss, Dunkelweizen, Weizenbach, is technically a mixture of Saccharomyces ovarum, the lager yeast, and Saccharomyces dobrecai. It's very low flocculating. What does low flocculation lead to in the final beer? Poor clarity? Ooh, now you're being a little bit harsh because in some cases, in the style it's appropriate. A better and more positive term is, somebody said that earlier, cloudy appearance? Yeah, can be appropriate, can be inappropriate. For the German vice strains, rice beers absolutely is appropriate and even desirable to some extent. I'm, I'm just avoiding the negative connotation, that's all, but you were right. You are right, though. Another significant one is the Bavarian lager strain, uh, sometimes Whitey's 2206 or White Labs 830. Whatever. The numbers aren't quite so important unless you're looking for 100%. Okay. It's the most common lager yeast strain and typical of brew pubs making lagers. With medium flocculation and medium attenuation, it is the all-around lager yeast strain and can fit into well into your recipes, which you have a 99% chance of getting on the exam, or maybe any particular uh, lager beer style that you're talking about. Okay. Fourth one, and very significant, the London ESB strain. When these uh, the style guidelines are talking about ingredients of these English beers, they kind of give a generic uh, description saying, characterful English ale yeast strain. What do they mean by characterful? More fermentation byproducts? <clears throat> That's a very short way of saying all that stuff that you mentioned too. That's fine. Okay. They're prone to making a little more diacetyl. Well, maybe not so much making more of it, but absorbing less of it. The London ESB strain is very flocculent. And flocculation is how much it drops to the bottom, or the characteristics of it. It drops like a rock. Okay. Low attenuation is common. Naturally, if uh, the yeast is not in contact with the beer as long, it's not going to ferment quite as far. So you can also see that flocculation and attenuation are, are somewhat tied together. Okay? Prone to diacetyl if not resting long enough at fermentation temperatures once There's fermentation has ended. A couple of, of furrowed brows to that last statement. The flocculation and attenuation are being tied together. What that basically means is once the yeast drops out of suspension, <laughs> it stops converting sugars and such so effectively because it's now sitting at the bottom and the mass of the beer is above it. And that's partly how you end up with a little bit of a diacetyl in there too, is that the yeast simply isn't in suspension enough to reduce it. Um, and what it's actually doing is reducing the precursors uh, to diacetyl because diacetyl is actually a, an oxidation process. But once yeast, if yeast is heavily flocculent and it flocculates out early, you end up with under-attenuated beer, and the way to correct that is to simply roust the beer back into suspension. That also leads to good feedback when you're judging those four beers. Suppose you want a beer with more body. 
Well, you can say mash higher. That's a very good one. And you can also throw in the indoor triate. Less attenuative. Less attenuative is the exact phrase. Well done. Listen right there. It's very highly flocculent. Attenuation percentage is lower than the others. I know this is awfully small to see, but perhaps you had seen this poster before. You might even have it. It's an excellent poster. It makes a wonderful prop when I'm doing the classes and stuff like that. Okay. Of all those yeast strains there in the yellow yeast, I only touch on those couple. You know, I don't need to go through all these. Okay. To understand a few of these is, is going to help as far as um, talking about some of the styles and, and then even understanding them better. For instance, the California Lager yeast strain. Anybody know what style that's suitable for? California Common. Exactly right. Formerly called Steam Beer. Oh, by the way, putting in like alternate original names for some of these beer styles is excellent for depth of information. I can't tell you that the very, very few times I've ever seen anybody say like California Common, originally called Steam Beer. Nobody puts that in there, but everybody puts down Anchor Steam Beer, right? That was the name of the style. Understand that California yeast lager strain is, first of all, a lager yeast strain, and it ferments wort without high esters or other fermentation problems in the 60 degree range. In fact, anchors, I believe they just um, pitch it like in the low 60s, and as it rises naturally, you've, some of you probably been to Anchor Brewing Company and looked in the room, right? That's not a cold room. Oh, sure, it's, cold, it's cool, but it is not refrigerated. That fermentation will rise and even get up to 70 degrees, whether or not they want to admit that or not, or tell that many people. But uh, low ester production at ale yeast temperatures is characteristic of the California lager yeast strain. You're not going to get a recipe for California common, but I'd say about one-third of all exams I've ever seen ask you to describe the California common style. Mention that particular yeast strain can, can do very well, okay? It's a lager strain that works well at LE's temperatures. And yes, it is a lager, so at some point it is lagered. I believe they lager it. It is what you might also call a mixed style. Okay. It's an amber hybrid, yep. Amber hybrid. The Belgian LE strains are particularly noteworthy, okay? Weiss 1214, for instance, or White Lamps uh, 500. There's, there's many of them here from, uh, from, the, from the, uh, the Belgian styles. In fact, he's even got a list here in its own little section, okay? Understand that it produces peppery spiciness and fruitiness beyond what other LEs produce and ferment without problems in the 70 to 80 degree range, okay? They do ferment warmer without as much fusel production as the other ale yeast strains, okay? Both white yeast and white labs acknowledge that the Belgian ale yeast work well even in the 90 degree Fahrenheit range, okay? But due to a lack of home brewer's control, this is left off in their fermentation chart. That particular information comes from analysis of brewing techniques by George Fix, uh, great 301 reading of very advanced brewing reading, okay? Any general questions as far as particular yeast strains. We don't want to get overboard with that because it just won't really apply that much to the exam. But understand that as every beer uses yeast, all these styles are going to use one of these strains or the other. Okay? Anything about those in particular? Sure, thank you. All the other styles are a 
consideration of your subcategory of one of these things found? Well, I think of them as subcategories, but understand that the American ale yeast strain will apply to any American ale, okay? The Bavarian lager strain well, it can apply to any lager you make, with the exception of that California Comet. The Belgian ale yeast strains in particular, and I did want to make sure that you understand that the production of the phenolics, specifically peppery, they don't make clove, and the fruitiness, sometimes even bubblegummy, is beyond what these other ALE strains are going to be able to do. Okay. Um, any Belgian ale. Oh, we won't get into that. You'll notice in that handout. That's part of my handout too, which of course you'll all read and cherish, right? I did a little bit of research on that one. Okay. Yeast practices. Okay. The optimal pitching rate is one million yeast cells per milliliter per degree Plato of wort. With that amount of yeast, you should have no problem with fermentation and uh, can control a lot of the byproducts. Um, actually, it's slightly higher for lagers and slightly lower for ales. It's not so much that you're going to be counting those, those yeast cells, okay? But here's something that can apply to your recipe question. A lot of graders will actually want to see an amount. Just tell them one pint of ale yeast or something, okay? That's fine, okay? But understand that um, the yeast cells actually can be counted. And that's not so much important for the exam, that's just some trivia there. The lagering is a bit more important. Lagering depends on contact with yeast. One does not filter and then lager, okay? Once a beer is filtered, it is at its peak and diminishes. Lagering helps to absorb byproducts and smooths out the beer, absorbs harsh compounds and sulfur. Filtering replaces lagering only in respect to clarification. It can leave a beer more stable, as it strips out bacteria, depending on the degree of filtration, but also at a price. It can also strip out body, hop character, including IBUs, and even color. Lagering is going to apply to, oddly enough, any lager beer style, and it's safe to say, any German ale. The Germans are very big on uh, lagering, so those all beers and Kolsch's they're also lager too. That's the extended storage, generally about two months at very cold temperatures. At very cold, we'll specifically say around 35 degrees. Okay, I've seen some pretty bad explanations of lagering on exams, like uh, lagering at 50 degrees and that sort of thing. Okay, they ain't going to do the job of settling out the beer, as well as absorbing certain compounds too. Logging has to take place at very cold temperatures. You have about a 70% chance that the recipe question is going to involve a log. Wild yeast include Britannomyces, Brett for short, which can cause barnyard, horse blanket, and leathery character, as well as others. Understand that there's some very good abbreviations when talking about these wild strains. Don't spell out Britannomyces. I can't even spell it half the time, okay? Mm -hmm. If you say B-R-E-T-T, -T, or even in conversation say Brett, every beer geek is going to know what you're talking about, okay? And I promise you that every grader is going to know what you're talking about if you mention Brett on the exam. What style is he going to mention Brett for? Lambics. Excellent. Excellent. Bacteria, which are smaller than yeast, also include Lacto-B. I know that's abbreviation for Lactobacillus, okay, responsible for sourness, and Pedio. 
epithelial short pinocacus, which is responsible for diacetyl in some cases, physical stringiness, and even a sauerkraut character. Those abbreviations are designed to, or offered to you, to help you out on the exam. Everyone knows what you're talking about when you say pedial. Everyone can hear these, okay? Just make sure you remember the I in there. Okay. Oh, you had problems with that in the past, huh? Okay. Keto yeast. Okay, okay. We, we see everything on exams. Every, I just, uh, I have something laminated in the car, too. I was going to bring it. Oh, maybe I did bring it. I'm sorry, it's the primary purposes of BJCP to promote beer illiteracy. Well, yeah, that's wrong. Actually, I told you it existed. I, I was so bad I had to laminate it. Please don't do that to us, okay? Kevin and I really care about uh, success and, well, beer literacy, okay? This guy's in. He squeaked by. Incredible. This person is allowed to beer judge. Okay. And he even remembers the name. Okay. Well, that's our job, I guess. Yes. Okay. If you have a total of uh, two points, you can't possibly have five of them from judging. You just don't subtract two from five. Okay, you get the picture. Okay. That, that particular handout that I handed you earlier will cover some of the specifics as far as understanding wild yeast bacteria and uh, go into just a little bit of depth. And hopefully that will add to your, uh, your uh, expertise in this particular area of yeast. There is... There are two questions that pertain to yeast in the pool of questions. Now, since everybody brought their study guide with them, right? Everybody opened the study guide to the pool of questions. Okay. That's not the entire pool, though, is it? That is the entire pool of questions. Yes, we're correct. It is the entire pool. Well, with this guide. What's missing out of the study guide is the specific matchups of different beer styles under the beer styles question. But Can I send that to you? Remember, I have an old copy of that. I have it. You do have it. You might even send it out of the quiz at some point. They don't have it, but I know. Okay. I'm just teasing you. You'll send it out somewhere. In the pool of questions, it is question T7. T for technical life. Page 24. Thank you. Describe the stages of yeast development and give five considerations to selecting the appropriate yeast strain for a given beer style. Hey, we covered those five specific reasons, didn't we? Some graders will probably give you half the credit right there. Five points. Hey, they know all the considerations. They didn't know anything about the uh, development of uh, yeast, but uh, that's good enough for five points. Okay. Now that you're on that page, go to the uh, yeast uh, section. That was by... Um, Watching on that. Yeah. The ginger right there, the east one? No, ginger did. Yeah, I think she did the water one. Because I, I do want you to highlight the specific phases. Okay. Oh, Chuck, okay. Um, not so well written from the earlier issue. I'm so glad that they uh, kind of cleared this up a bit because it was actually kind of hard to read at first. But I want everybody to underline or highlight the five stages that any grader will want to see if you are asked question T7 on the exam, okay? The lag phase. Okay, got it, yeah, sorry, go on, right? You don't have your study guide. It's hard, huh? Okay, for those that don't have it, that's okay, we'll go ahead and write it down, okay? Respiration. 
second phase. The third phase is low croissant. That's the point where you start to actually see something happening with the foam. Okay? High croissant is number four. Growth phase is a better name for respiration. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's already in my And understand that as you have the study guide open, you're checking up on me too, right? Because yeast do not specifically respire. They don't actually uptake oxygen and then exhale something else. They utilize the oxygen for other purposes, helping with their cell wall growth, etc. And that fifth stage is settling. Is there a different name for it? There you go. Late frozen. When it starts to settle, okay? For further depth, you might also want to discuss slightly the lagering phase. However, realize that's not going to apply to the gilly strains, right? More often than not, you don't lager the eels. Not that you can't, okay? Understand that those are the five stages, whatever wording you want to use, that any grader is going to want to see if you get asked that question T7. There is a one in four chance you'll get asked that one. I just gave you the answer too, right? I gave you the five considerations, and I told you what to highlight. It's up to you as far as uh, filling in the words in between that, as far as um, describing. You're giving a name, of course, but a few lines of description. This is not meant to be a page and a half answer either. It isn't. Understand that the lag phase is, of course, the yeast are getting used to the environment and nothing's really happening. And you can physically see it's just adjusting. So on and so forth, okay? It's not a rocket science, okay? Sure, yeast is um, rather chemical in a way, or um, they say microbiology. Don't, don't make the exam rocket science. Do you guys remember that bit that I gave you as far as the considerations and Understand those phases, you will do fine on that particular question, okay? There is another potential question on yeast, which is T6, all these stuff, the one that precedes in the study guide. Describe the role of yeast in reproduction, we kind of have already, and the positive and negative effects on finished product of oxygen introduction during the various stages of fermentation. And that's why I specifically wanted to mention the role of oxygen. And for me, it was just like a little paragraph of an answer, okay? Nothing too in-depth. Understand that when Kevin gets into some of the exam specifics and the test tips, most of these questions can be answered in a half to a full page for a good answer. A lot of the style ones are going to go a little bit over because there's so much that they're asking for, it seems. You should understand, too, as far as the similarities and differences of the three styles that they're asking. But, um, it doesn't have to be so complex. A lot of times it really is the color. It doesn't matter as far as the range of amber, so that's another good hint I can give you. Ask about Northern Alt Beer, and California Common, and Extra Special Bitter. Similarity, color. There, a two-word answer, and you'll get credit for it. All right? So have I covered about everything that I really needed here? Okay. Did I cover everything that's really needed? Did I leave anything out? Was I too brief? What I provided for you, however, was enough for the exam, but I'm more than happy to answer any questions or if I went too fast on anything. I have a question about overpitching. Very, 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 very difficult to do. Go ahead. Okay. Because, I mean, if, so is there, if you do overpitch, the result, is it 
kind of less flavors because they haven't, kind of, the yeast haven't worked as hard to, you know, create these byproducts like esters and, um, you know, these, these other flavors. So do you get kind of a flatter profile in a beer by overpitching? Because you, know, you don't get that oxygen. I'm not real sure, but I think that a lot of times if you put in too much yeast, the yeast end up competing with the other, and you have certain fermentation problems. And I think a lot of times they might actually not finish the job that they're getting well starred with. You're not things, getting enough food, basically. One of the things the yeast can do, or yeast does, at the beginning of fermentation is lower pH. And sometimes if there is too much yeast going on, they lower pH, they complete fermentation, but they don't really uptake, and there isn't enough nutrients for all of them to uptake certain uh, nutrients, you wind up with yeast bite, which is slightly tart, acidic, bready, and, I don't know, just prickly on your tongue. But I understand it's very hard to overpitch. Really hard to overpitch. Yeah, I suppose like a full gallon of slurry stuff in, in a five-gallon five batch. Yeah, nobody You're does overpitching that. that. Uh, it's even like a quarter spine. Yeah. It's hard to even tell people actually when they're beginning. It's like, you know, you're not gonna put it. Well, my ear, like your, my beer end up being yeasty. No, it's yeast are gonna eat the sugar. Yeah. Just my, how much do you pitch typically in your beers? Well, for a twelve gallon batch, I do like a half a cup of solids. Right, about a half cup. Yeah. Is that all? Oh, and Dean, how much do you pitch? Dean, how much do you pitch? That's fine. I do about a two pounds of milk. Two pounds in the milk? No, two, two pounds. pounds milk. So it's a thick, or is that including the liquid with the beer? No, I, I get rid of about half. Yeah. I, I like to go to the brew pubs where they fill so it. So you can see where we're, where we're talking typically, you know, a, a pint to three quarters of a, of a quart per five gallons is the pitching rate that these guys are talking about. Half a cup is even or is even less. Half a cup of solid. Uh, I I pitch right around a pint of solid. So now this comes in play because there's a 99% chance you're going to have a recipe question. Yeah, put in how much yeast you're putting in. Just say a pint or something. It's simple, right? Make it simple. Don't make the exam harder than it has to be. Anything else as far as yeast or even bacteria? Anything? Yeah. I was kind of curious. You said <laughs> the more fermentation develops more esters. Yes. In that sense. And then you said lagering can cover things up. Lagering can absorb some of these fermentation byproducts. As far as, well, actually, that's part of a very good question, though. Because I think I understand what you're getting at. If you're having um, an estery problem like your 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 lager, it got up to about 60 degrees for a little too long, and yeast is not going to um, absorb that much of it, okay? It can take care of certain other problems, but um, lagering is not going to be the answer to that particular problem. It can be the answer, however, for um, clarity in beer. And that's excellent feedback you can give to somebody if they have a cloudy beer for the exam, longer, colder aging times, okay? Those are specific. But lagering is not going to be the answer to a fermentation problem. Uh, esters, I don't think, are going to be reabsorbed that much in a case. But it's kind of like... Um, how it smooths out a beer too. There are certain compounds that it is um, that it is absorbing, and it's helping to smooth out the beer. And there's an obvious difference just in the well character of ales and lagers, right? That's just beer beginning 101. You know, they do do 
the diastole to some water to them. So bring it all up. should. And mostly to speed up the process of reabsorbing right. the diastole. Not so much because it's necessary for, for reabsorption. Because if you do lager it long enough, uh, it'll go away. But most people don't have the patience, and economically, commercial breweries aren't going to wait that long. That's uh, why with your um, your uh, recipe question, if you got us and lagers, please include a three-day diastole rest, to be specific. Even more specific, three days, let it sit at 60 degrees. That's specific. Or at least 24 hours. Um, kind of a, and a, one of the things that is a byproduct of what was being asked back there, if lagering would help reduce problems, cooler fermentation temperatures go a long way towards reducing a lot of problems. They reduce esters, they reduce fusels, which is those side alcohols that happen from a too warm a fermentation. Um, they help the yeast function at, a, at a, the right speed so that it's not throwing off a lot of other off flavors or side flavors. Um, so rather than lagering, the control of the fermentation temperature goes a long way in ALS towards flavor control. So could you say if you controlled the fermentation temperature down low enough on, on a lager, that do you, is a, is a uh, diacetyl rest necessary? No. Uh, well, yeah, you do need to be able to reduce diacetyl. If you've had a very cool temperature um, for a lager, yes, you'll need a diacetyl rest. You'll need to bring it up to do some kind of diacetyl rest. On an ale, you're always functioning at a, at a temperature where diacetyl is being reduced anyway. It's just a matter of how much yeast stays in suspension as to how much gets reduced. Um, so like 1084, the Irish ale yeast is, is known for being a high diacetyl producer, so is the London ESB strain. If you roust both of those up, they tend to reduce the amount of diacetyl that you get in the finished beer significantly. So in that case, the control is how much yeast stays in suspension um, and not so much fermentation temperature. But in terms of controlling esters, controlling fusels, fermentation temperature plays a big, big role in that. Now, if you do that, how long should it sit for, say, if you want to browse a piece to, to do that? If you want to transfer to secondary, a day, two days, how long do you let it go? Well, for it? here's the interesting thing about diacetyl. It's really kind of an enzyme reaction that's going on in the, in the beer that once oxygen gets introduced during transfer, it becomes diacetyl and it's no longer available to the yeast to reduce. If the yeast can't touch it anymore. Right. So you want to do that in the primary. You want to make sure that it stays rousted, that you have a complete fermentation. And you do that by simply taking gravity readings and making sure it's getting down to where you want. And if it's not, so you're So complete fermentation at the primary. Right. There's one other thing I could probably add as far as fermentation. And yes, it pops up on the recipes when people don't understand how long fermentation takes. I'm pretty sure you guys have some idea as far as the neighborhood that fermentation takes. This is going to apply to the recipe question. Yeah, ale yeast fermentation about five days. If you want to say six or seven, that's fine. But don't say two weeks of fermentation at 68 degrees. That's not going to make any sense. Okay, likewise, a lager fermentation about two weeks or so at that 50 degrees, which is ideal, followed by the diastole rest if it's incorporated, followed by the settling out phase or the stepping down. A lot of times people do reduce that fermentation temperature by five degrees with Lagering taking place later, at least a couple of months. Okay, uh, don't say six months of lagering time for a German Pilsner if you get the German Pilsner recipes a little bit. Much, but it's not going to hurt. Okay, 
But I understand that lagering certainly takes place more than a couple weeks, except if you're Anheuser-Busch. Okay. Anything else as far as yeast or anything? You want to talk about the first 72 hours of alcohol production versus uh, higher temperatures? Oh, no. Or anything? Oh, sure. First 72 hours? Uh... Most things, most of the fermentation byproducts that we're getting at do occur with and those. Alcohol. And, and oh yeah, and, and, and the products themselves, right? That's why we see see vigorous activity. Almost all that is going to take place within that first two to three days. It slows down towards the end, but it still is going. That's why with that Utopias clone, yeah, it took a long time to get going, or a long time to finish up, but that doesn't mean there's a crazy head on it for like, you know, six months, right? Fermentation does slow down towards the end, but as it takes off like a rocket to begin with, that's the most critical time to control your temperatures, and that's a good, great procedure here. Obviously, going to be showing the uh, oh, yeah, rise just, in the it, population. As it, yeah, well, it's the rise in population, but it's also the rise in, in activity. So you have the first two or three days where you have a lot, and then it really slows down in terms of alcohol production. So higher alcohol beers take longer to ferment, but most of it's getting done in the first three or four days. And that's where you really want to control the most amount of temperature. So when it comes to something like a Belgian triple, where you want to get to 8, 9, 10%, it may take a while to do it, but control the fermentation for the first three or four days, then let the temperature rise up to start producing some of the phenols that you may want, some of the spicy characters, spiciness to that. The same thing kind of is true of Hefeweizen. and you let it stay cool for the first two or three days, and then you can let the temperature get up and you'll get a nice spiciness out of German Hefeweizen without the fusel alcohols. And that is a specific tip also from the book, Rudelega Monk. If anybody's read that book, an excellent book. You don't need to read all the, uh, the beer style guidelines for the brewer's complicated stuff, but it's a specific tip given by Start with the fermentation in the mid-60s for a, three days to get that first part done. And let it rise. Let it go to 75 degrees or so. You're not going to have the fusel problems because most of that stuff got done early. But you're going to have the character. Beer, for high gravity beer, recipe question, that might be a good technique to throw in there for fermentation. Okay. Anything else? I just got some more beers to try. So, so uh, we got beers to try. I'm going to start gabbing all night. Got beers to drink. Okay. Okay. Now, this is in which case, I fear that I must be going home as an hour after. Uh,
So we'll pass around another ordinary bitter. I kind of like it. It's supposed to be bready. It has character to the yeast. Perhaps just a touch dark. But that's not really a big fault. We'll pass around biotins here. On the Sharpness like perhaps got uh, contamination. Uh, 
body. In the body? Yeah. yeah. Would you have gotten that if you hadn't had the home group beforehand? Yeah. It's pretty. Is the green apple appropriate for the style? Is the green apple appropriate for style? Yes. Yeah. No. Correct. It is not appropriate for style. Is it appropriate in any style? Whose homebrew was it? Very lightly in a um, in a light lager, standard American lager, or white lagers. Hmm? But still should be just subtle, right? Yeah, remember that when they say diacetyl permissible or acetylaldehyde permissible, they mean in very light touches, generally accents, generally just barely there. When it is overt, when it is something that hits you in the middle of, it, of the forehead, right between the nostrils, it's a flaw all the time, even if it's acceptable in the style. You get a Pilsner that has a ton of diacetyl in it, and it says a little diacetyl is okay. That's, you know, it's not a little. It's, if it's more than an accent, it's too much. On the body tips, it's not, uh, how do you describe it? It's just like that. Well, that's like a tannin. That's an astringent. You're, you're describing astringent. I just get very, very dry in the finish. I don't get any astringents out of this beer, but very dry in the finish. Okay. That just could be an aged example. It is a very light beer. I think it runs right at 4% or something like that, just barely. And that's why I'm more way more strict than ordinary in terms of like just the body. The body's very light beer. Right. It's a very, almost more than a medium body. Yeah, and it kind of has to be in order to survive the trip. Well, not the body, it's the home. Well, the home room's a little bit lighter? No, it has a little bit heavier. This has a much lighter, but I would associate with an ordinary
What was the question? The question was, on the, on, um, the geography question for Burton-on-Trent, does, does that apply to um, all the bidders or just uh, any one of the specific ones? And what we, it means is I, that particular question is looking for pale ale, English pale ale, as the correct answer.
the mouthfeel on that beer? Round, creamy. How's the creaminess? How's the um, carbonation? Technology on a lot of these micros is superior to glass. 
in a lot of ways. Um, the process itself actually generates less oxygen in the beer than bottling. And uh, I just think it makes for superior products in almost every case. They don't get light struck. They're not as easily oxidized. Uh, a lot easier to transport. It's a little bit cheaper per, per ounce. Not by much. Wholesalers make sure we pay the top dollar for these things. You can take it to Parks and Beaches. So how's the flavor on this? Compared to the last? Do you think there's a little more balanced or less balanced, more hot, less hot, or malt? Right. Yeah, this has a luscious maltiness to it, I think. Um, it's nice, toasty, base malt flavor to it with just a hint of caramel in there. Very sweet. On the sweet side, so hops are lower. Which is, I think, part of what puts it into the special category um, instead of the extra special, a pale ale category. It's very little. But I think if it had a little more carbonation, the hops would come off a little better. Okay. Comment was if it had more carbonation, perhaps the hops would come out a little better? Okay. The nitrogen beers tend to have much yeah. mouthfeel to me. Yeah, the nitrogen does put out a certain smoothness because it takes away, what it does is displace an amount of carbon dioxide so you have less of that effervescence on your tongue. And you're left with more of the maltiness, more of the, the fullness of the malt on your tongue, which makes it feel like a bigger beer than it might feel like if it had all carbon dioxide in there. So describe as like a round body because of the Nitrogen kind of rounds it out. Yep, that would be a very Where you think this particular one is? This is Tetley's draft. Have you guys had Tetley's before? Can we get some a little bit of stringency in the? Well, be careful if you feel that um, that a beer, because it is light in body, automatically has a stringency, because it isn't necessarily so. Yeah, I got to open the bass. Oh, yeah. I'm determined to serve that bass. Right? Yeah. You are. <laughs> I guess I better do it next. I realize that. You need to get it off the table anymore. It's funny when you say this. You know, people often assume that a lighter body beer is going to be a little stretchy. When I go back and look at some of my judges' score sheets and like the but you know what? Yeah. 
almost like confuse the dryness of the swimming seat. Right? Yeah. yeah. It is. Yeah. It's something very specific. It really is kind of a mouth puckering feel. Or what he was saying about the, the top being is so it's coming around now is at least Very hard to come out. 
good yeah, no, is when they so. buy it in bulk. They can't. Okay, what's coming around now is Adnan's SSD. Yeah, Suffolk. So they're calling it their Suffolk Special Bitter. Very good. This one is not on nitrogen. What is this Right. SSB. <laughs> did you have to special order this? Or did you find it local? No, actually, you can find this locally. Oh, that's your thing. What is this again? Adnan's SSB, Suffolk Special. Okay. Where would you place this? They call it an SSB bitter. How's this compared to, say, bass? So you pretty much want to call this probably a English pale ale also, correct? And that would bear out based on the alcohol content, based on the flavor. Yeah, we tried to start it because I can't even tell you. We judge you have the guidelines. We need family, we'll not there's only a style sheet that you get. Well, not even a style sheet, you get a judging sheet. Judging sheet. But there is one particular off flavor that's quite prevalent in this beer. Okay, I'm trying to get the phone on his nose. Snorted right at the same time. Paper cardboard? Especially in the in the finish? Especially as it kind of lingers a little bit. Oh, yeah. As it warms yeah. up, as it warms up dry finish. I'm sure it's, yeah, as it warms up, I'm sure it's there. Yeah, the one getting on the left is my floor. My first impression was a cigarette. <laughs> a what cigarette? Yeah. I shouldn't, okay. I don't know, so maybe. Yeah, once you get those kind of things in your in your head, it's hard to get them out. I try to avoid scars.
What's that? Oxidation. Oxidation of alcohol because? Age. Exactly, age. 2005 beer. When we were trying the, uh, yeah, we were trying to figure out how um, how the uh, dating was working on this urge earlier. It was bottled 0211, which means was it bottled February 11th, or was it bottled in November of 2002? You know, the Europeans put the year first and then the date. Maybe that's the good until date. Yeah, right. Like some of the Belgians, they really date him like so. He was good until November of 2002. So the Belgians, they, they did like five years in the future, right? It's uh, isn't that one like the dual? They they date him like five years ahead, so you can tell when they were when they were bottled. So that means they were bottled. Okay. Next coming around is an American version of ESB, one we've all heard of, and either has learned to love or has learned to hate. What's an expiration date on that? Why do you put that packaging date? Yeah, why do you put that expiration date? Isn't it four months? Can I tell you? Of any decent size. 
And um, they, they produced this beer using London ESB strain. And um, we're getting diacetyl from it because it's a very flocculent strain and they're trying to use some cylinder conicals. And it was actually coming from a brewery that used to use essentially stone squares. So they were, the, the beer is used to big, wide, open fermentations, and they're putting it into a closed cylinder conical fermentation, and it wasn't acting the same. And of course, by the time it hit, it, it tasted great, the brewery, by the time it hit their bottling line, a little churning in the bottling line as it was filling, it would oxidize the beer, and it would be butter by the time it got out of the state of Washington. So it just kind of became part of the profile, and they thought that they had this fix. They thought that they could rouse the yeast better. They installed propellers inside of their uh, fermenters to push the yeast up into suspension, um, which is not that uncommon, as it turns out. Um, all of that, and ultimately they were going to uh, change the yeast strain, but they decided that they had enough market share and people expected it that they really weren't going to change much of it at all. This probably has one quarter of the diacetyl it used to. How much do they hit with this steak? Pretty big. It's never won anything. Well, the judges know what it is. Yeah, pretty much. Red Hook is now. All of the distribution of Red Hook happens in the house. And I think they own something like that. They bought a big Yeah, but they don't control the brewery. Only the distribution, pretty much, they say, it'll make it our way. Comments on ESBs so far? Paleos? The bass was good. Okay. Oh, it's coming out. There you go. Oh, and what was the water? Tetley's. That was. Just a Tetley's. Tetley's is a really good Sunday night. Oh yeah. Sunday church beer. Yeah. Sunday morning church beer. Yeah. Church beer. Church beer. German Hello English beer. What the hell?
13 ounces of aromatic malt. That's caramel malt 40L, about 13 and a half ounces, 10.2 ounces of uh, caramel malt uh, 120, and a 6.7 ounce of special roast with East Kent Golding East. Or hops, I'm sorry. <laughs> East Kent Golding East. White White Labs East. White Labs. O2. O2. Yeah. He only actually uses, I think, four or five yeasts. Comments on the aroma? Now, what do you think of the head color to this compared to the other beers that we've had? A little darker. A little darker, off-white. What do you suppose is accounting for that? A little bit of the roasted malt in it. Is accounting for that little off-white color? Do they, does the style guideline list the color of the head? No, not the color of the head, the color of the beer. But as you'll learn um, over time, that's what that, the malt cheese will affect the color of that. Yeah. So comments on this beer, aroma, flavor? Anything off in the aroma? Oh, cabbage? I'm hearing cabbage. Okay. Are we getting cabbage in the flavor? I think there was a little vegetal thing going on. 
How fast are you able to chill your beer? Oh, in conversation. How fast did you cool your beer? Very. How fast? Is very fast. Half an hour. Um, you mean? Are you talking about uh, at right after uh, boil? After boil, after being able to pitch. Uh, five minutes down to eighty degrees. Okay. And how fast before you pitch? Uh, not that fast. Uh, it's probably another half hour after that. That's fast. Yeah. It's still very fast. DMS, it definitely eliminates DMS. But vegetal things like this can be a factor of more spoiling in some kind. So, I yeah. All right, moving on. Yes. 
Holy crap. Bottles are clear, don't drink the beer. Is that something you're telling Boy Scouts now? Leaves are three, let them be. Bottles are clear, don't drink the beer. Keep the bottles clear. That's only the California Boy Scouts. Beer before liquor, never but as a Northern English brand compared to the style guidelines, how does this one work? Anybody still got guidelines? Right here. Yep. Um, I think it definitely fits the guidelines. Light body. Yeah, it definitely fits. Way better than I can. Yeah, that's
You're up to American Brown. You will find American Brown under Category 10, which is the, uh, which is the American category. I intentionally skipped it because I think it's more appropriate to taste American Browns with the English Browns. <laughs> That's much darker than the other ones, which is just a of free flow part. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. So I think we're going to do that. This one, yeah, no, like Clark Central. Right. For some reason, it disappeared. What's society? several times tonight. The big sky is out of Montana. Where did you get it? Where did you buy this? Safeway. Safeway in San Ramon, I've seen it before. Kevin, where did you pick it up? We usually have a Safeway, but not always. Yeah. Yeah, this is actually a little bit of an oxidized example. It's usually sweeter than this. Um, color is dark for an English style, but usually the flavor is sweeter, which is much more in line with what a, what a southern English brown would be like. American browns tend to be slightly hoppy, but still sweet, and definitely on the chocolate side, and definitely about this color. So about twice as dark as, huh? yeah, a little roastier, or um, definitely a chocolate aroma. There's a big bittersweet chocolate in the room, a slight little coffee thing going on, and kind of a sweet cream. So is that right? Yep. No, it depends on how much hops you have. It's kind of really... But still sweet, balanced. It used something more like a raw ice beer or amyl or something like that. This one's still oxidized. Yeah, the question came in getting this as a porter. In England, this would be clearly a porter. Um, but American brown ales fall short of what American porters are all about. Um, when we get into porters, we'll talk about that. The robust porter category, in my opinion, is too broad because it encompasses both English and American robust porters, which I think are actually distinctly different. Where you People try to, uh, to uh, put in English robust porters and they just get creamed by the American robust. Mm -hmm. Tell them they enter their English robust uh -huh. porters with American browns. That's the only way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, it's just <laughs> they're, 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 they're so the distinctly right? different. Where are you getting your yeah. oxidation paint from? Uh, paper has to finish. Uh, like, like a brown paper bag. Yeah. Oh, that burnt cinder. Yeah. yeah. Just, just a quarter category. Yeah. So what do you think of this pair? Compared to the English, it's stale. Right, it's stale. But compared to English brown ales, this is an American version. This is what we do to beers. Trying to make them bigger, better. Take over the world. This isn't bigger, better than. for the style guideline cards because they ended up costing me like $8 a set. and um, They're big, but they're great. They're, they have flashed up you know, the, the style on the front and all the stats on the back. For those of you that actually pay me for it, I'll put you on an email list and I'll send you the actual listing of the beers that you could possibly get tested on, of which there are 65 out of a guideline. Such a
Well, it's up to you, but I, I think, uh, you know, if you can up that by six or seven points, it makes that written score all the easier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll still think about you it. You do it long enough. enough. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And you should be working well, on it. I mean, I've it long enough that I, you know, I, I kind of recognize where, um, you know, I, my limitations, I guess, but maybe I'm not giving myself enough, uh, enough credit. So, are you um, doing any grading? No. How come? Time? Time. Yeah. I mean, well, it's, it's a, a big how many commitment. Time, yeah, how many time, you know, how much time they have to come to these things. Yeah, it's a big commitment to, to grade, but there's a ton of insight. With your scores, you could be a grader. Yeah. You just have to have scored 80 or higher on both sides. And if you... If you grade a couple of exam sets, you will get a lot of insight. Um, to, to, the, to the written portion? To both. Oh, to the tasting as well? Yeah, the tasting and the written. Um, I mean, if you think about it, and if you want, we'll sit down and I'll show you some exams, and I'll show you some scores to go with those exams. You can kind of, you'll get it, it'll, it'll dawn on you. It'll suddenly be, oh, oh, well, that's what I'm doing right, and that's what I'm doing wrong. Okay, I, can, yeah. I see this. You know, I mean, it's it. It isn't difficult, but it's something a lot of it takes some people a long time to get. Right. I mean, it took me an enormous amount of time to get. So. Yeah, well, that would be you know, might be fun to do. Um, just because. So. But you know, I'm always interested in being a better judge, and that's why I'm here. Um, you know, whether or not I. Well, hopefully, a couple of classes you've been through. I mean, I hope you learned something in the first one with the uh, tasting. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, hope you learned a little something tonight. Yeah. The ones that you can come to. Yeah. Well, you know, honestly, you know, I, my, my bolus of beer knowledge um, came from the years when I was in grad school, which right. ended in 99. And then after that, you know, I've been devoting so much brain power to everything else. Sure. You know, it's been, there's a lot of stuff that's, you know, that's stagnated. I, I can't say that I've really lost a lot of, uh, you know, what I knew before is because I'm, you know, really, Constantly here. So and that's what you know, you know, make use of that knowledge. But people that brew a lot and taste a lot score best. Yeah. Because if you brew a lot of different styles, you bring that knowledge to the table and it brings right. a lot. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I'm doing is I'm, you know, there are styles that I've never brewed and I'm kind of, you know, slowly going through the rotation and, you know, making sure that I go through the process of formulating a recipe before, you know, I get a saison this weekend. It's the first time I've done a saison, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, and, you know, that's kind of fun to do and get a, you know, an appreciation for, um, for the style for what I'm doing. Mike, right, do you have a key? No, I'm supposed to take that key. key. Yeah, you're supposed to get this. Yeah. I'll be seeing Chris this week. Okay, well, I'm supposed to be what's in Well, he's not coming back at all this week. Apparently, he's done with the week. He's going to get married on Friday. Yeah, I'm going to go to the wedding. Oh, all right. So I'm just saying that. Congratulations, though. Here's your key. Yeah, here's your company.
Thanks, Dan. Probably not the next one, but the one after that. You can try to convince me more than that. <laughs> you can't um, give us a hint of
Well, he does, but he doesn't from me on the internet. No, 